1 Samuel chapter 17. Chapter 17. For the sake of time this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read verses 41 through 54, which pick up kind of right in the, 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 uh, the highlight or the, the apex of the story. And then what we're going to do is back up and tell kind of the whole story in the course of the sermon. Okay, so we're just going to be reading verses 41 through 54. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it, struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. And then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath, and he killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistine as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shaarim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and put it in his, and put the armor in his tent. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God this morning. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our champion. Lord, you're, you're everything that we need for the battle. And Father, we thank you for winning against death, for conquering the grave and sin, for defeating all of our enemies, that we might rush ahead in victory. Father, please teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Please reveal your word to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're beginning a short series in the life of David, probably eight to nine weeks. Kind of the basic plan is is that uh, I'm going to preach on David until I go to India. And then after I come back from India, we'll probably start something different. And so we'll be here probably through the middle of October, I would guess. And it would be very easy for us to spend like three years on the life of David. If we were doing this on a Wednesday night, uh, I would probably, probably spend triple the amount of time 
uh, on the life of David. But really, that's not what we want to do on Sunday morning. It's not what I want to do on Sunday morning. What I want to do on Sunday morning is I want to lead you through the life of David, really looking toward the Christ figure in David, okay? Now, what I mean by that is that when you read your Old Testament, you're going to see little hills and big hills, okay? We've, we've talked about this before, okay? So you're going you're gonna to see David. David's kind of the little hill. He's the little king, okay? But behind David is the king of kings, Jesus, all right? Does that make sense? So, so when the Bible gives us these accounts of David and works through David in certain ways, it is also teaching us about the coming king, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to hit those passages in David's life really heavy, okay? So we're going to hit this one. We're going to hit Mephibosheth. We're going to hit lot, lots of those type of passages in the life of David. And then we're also, because David isn't Jesus, okay, he's not Jesus, he's a man. Now, he's a man after God's own heart, but he's just a man. He's a sinner just like us. We're also going to look at some of the passages of David's failures, and we're going to see how God dealt with him, how God restored him. Great lessons for us in life. So that's that's the direction that we're going. This morning, we're going to look at probably uh, one, of the, one of the greatest passages of David's kingship and of the coming King, Jesus Christ, uh, in, in the Bible. We know from our scriptures that Jesus Christ is both prophet, priest, and king, and we know that he is a king after the line of David, okay? And so we read that in 2 Samuel. Let me read that for you. If you come next, uh, two Wednesdays from now, we're going to look at this passage specifically. Um, but in 2 Samuel 7, uh, David tells the Lord he's going to build him a house, and God's like, no, 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 I'm going to build you a house, Okay. And here's the house that God is talking about. He's talking about an eternal throne. And he says in in verse 11 of 2 Samuel 7, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Verse 12, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your your offspring after you who shall come after your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever." I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, he's talking about Solomon here. I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house, listen to this, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So David is the king that leads to the king of kings, all right? So through David's family would come Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And so we're going to look at uh, those type of passages in the life of David. Now today, David and Goliath. I mean, there couldn't be anybody here who's not heard the story of David and Goliath, right? I mean, it it is such an iconic story that that our society uses it all the time. I bet you've watched a boxing match before, and the commentators said something like, boy, we got a real David and Goliath story today, you know? And basically what they're saying is, we have an underdog. We got a guy who's not expected to win. He doesn't look impressive. He's facing this experienced Bigger, faster, stronger, more quick, more experienced. You know, it's an underdog situation, okay? And, and most of the time, that's all people think of when they think of David and Goliath. They think, well, God wants the underdog to win, okay? Listen, that's really not the point of David and Goliath, okay? I don't want you walking out of here today saying, you know, hey, what I learned today is that I'm an underdog, and so I'm just going to go face the giant, okay? You know what might happen as an underdog and face it? You might get pummeled, okay? I mean, if I would have showed up at those MMA fights last night here in Woodward, you know, I would have clearly been the underdog, all right? Any category, I would have been the underdog, right? All right, and, and what would have happened? Would God have helped me, you know, just go out there and I've never done this before? Come on, you know? No, I probably would have got beat to death, all right? That's probably what would have happened, all right? Wisdom, the wisdom of the Bible says, hey, don't, don't go face giants. And so that's really not the point of David and Goliath. Most, most people miss the point of David and Goliath. The point of 
David and Goliath is that David is serving a very particular purpose in God's story, okay? David is, is serving a purpose that teaches us about Jesus' purpose, okay? God's doing something with David that he would later do on a greater, bigger scale with Jesus, okay? Now, let's, let's begin in, in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 17. We'll start at the beginning here. What, what do we see here? Well, in verses 3 and 4, we see two armies lined up facing each other on, uh, uh, across a great valley, okay? So verse 3, Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up in line of battle against the Philistines, and the Philistines stood on the mountain on the other side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them, all right? So you got the people of God on one side, you've got the Philistines on the other. You've got God's people, you've got God's Enemies. You've got uh, the the Israelites. You've got the Philistines on the other on, on opposite sides of this valley. Okay, and now you have this man named Goliath who comes out from the Philistines to the middle of the valley and he challenges Israel. Now, important word here, verse four. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath. The word champion there is really, it's an okay translation. Uh, it probably would have been better to translate it another way. But, but let, let, me, let me give you why the right readers didn't, because it maybe doesn't make sense to us. When Larry came in this morning, he said, what's the title of your message? You know, I said, I'm preaching on David and Goliath. He says, what's your title? I said, the man in the middle. And he's like, okay. And, and, and what he said to me is he said, well, I don't understand where you're going with that, but I'm assuming that after the sermon, I will. I said, I hope so. Okay. Now, now the reason that I titled it that is because the word champion there in Hebrew is actually two words. It's ish, the word for man. And then it's the word for in the middle or the word for, uh, uh, in between. It, it actually means in between, the man in between, the man in the middle. Okay. The mediator. Okay. Now, what is it saying by that? Well, Goliath is representing the Philistines, right? So you got this big valley, okay? What does Goliath do? Goliath steps out in the middle between his people and the enemy, okay? What's David about to do? David is about to step out from, the, from, from his people in between the, God's people and the enemy, and David is going to fight, and Goliath is going to fight, and they're going to fight for their people, okay? And so literally, the word champion there is the man in the middle. It's, it's a mediator, okay? Now, Goliath is imposing, all right? Verse 4, there came out from the camp of the, Pharise- uh, of the Philistines a champion named Goliath. Um, his height was six cubits in a span. It's probably around nine feet. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels, 125 pounds roughly. He had bronze armor on his legs, a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. The spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. By the way, I think that's cheating to have a shield bearer, don't you? I mean, have this guy that runs before you with a shield, but I, I don't know. I didn't make the rules here, but anyway, that would be cheating to me. Uh, but anyway, so he is huge, all right? I was at a children's museum this week. I took my, my younger three kids to, uh, to, we did some river floating, and, and we went to a children's museum one morning. And, and on a wall, they had the, the, like the Guinness World Records for the, like the tallest people, the shortest people, all that. And, and, and the tallest guy was like eight foot something. I can't remember exactly what he was. It was, it was I, I mean, I could not believe they had the outline of him on the wall. I could not 
fathom standing in front of a guy that was that big. I mean, he was just, the outline was just enormous, okay? And, and so Goliath is even taller than that, okay? He's huge. He, he's strong. He, he's armed to the hill. He's like a tank, okay? I mean, shield bearer, all this bronze art. Nobody else had that stuff. You know, spear like a weaver's beam, all right? And he's challenging and taunting and making fun of the people of God. And he does this, look at verse 16, for 40 days, all right? Verse 16, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. How humiliating for Israel, okay? You got God's people, and every morning, what do they get for breakfast? They get, they get failure and humiliation. What do they get for supper, you know? Intimidation and shame, all right? Every, every day for 40 days, here comes this guy. Come on out. Who's going to fa- Send me your champion. Send me your guy in the middle. Send me your representative. I'm ready. You know, let's battle. We'll battle. If, if you win, we'll be your servant. If, if I win, you know, I'll, 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 you'll, you'll be our servants. And, and, and nobody answers the call. Nobody steps up. Nobody is able, nobody's fit to the task. You know, for a month, for 40 days straight, it is burned into the minds of the Israelite army. We've got nobody. We've got nobody. You know, Saul, he's the king. He's supposed to be answering the call here. No, Saul's not going down. I'm not going down there against that guy. Jonathan, man, guy of great courage and bravery. I mean, we'll see that later. He's not going down there. I mean, Israel's got nobody to face this challenge, nobody to face this threat until David. Now, again, David serves a very Christ-like picture here, okay? In fact, uh, I'll tell you where my mind went as I was thinking about 40 days, nobody, 40 days. Who, who's going to face me? Who's, who's going to come down? Who of God's people? Who, who, who? Nobody, 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 okay? You know where my mind went? Revelation chapter 5, okay? Listen to this. Then I saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. This is John. He's up in heaven. He's seeing God's plan of redemption lay out. And he, sa- he saw one who was seated on the throne of heaven with a scroll written within it on the back, sealed with seven seals. And he saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? Who is worthy to open the scroll of God's redemptive plan? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Man, John's like, nobody can do this. Nobody can accomplish God's redemptive plan. Nobody can open the scroll. And then in verse 5, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's Jesus. Listen to this. The root of David has conquered, and he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And David fulfills that role in 1 Samuel 17. When nobody will go forward, nobody will come down, David is the guy that comes and says, I will stand before the Philistine. I will fight for the armies of the living God. Now David is already king at this point, okay? Now, you probably didn't know that because he's a nobody. Nobody knows him. Nobody knew at that time. But in chapter 16, Samuel anoints him king, okay? But he's not the acknowledged king. He's not, he's not the recognized king, but he's God's guy already, okay? First, first Samuel 16, he's already anointed king. And again, think about Jesus. Think of Jesus. Let me ask you, who is the king today, okay? Please don't say Obama. I'll be disappointed in you, okay? It's not. Who's the king today? Jesus is the king. Is Jesus recognized as the king by our world? He's not, is he? He's not. But is he the king? He is. He's God's man. All right. He's he, he's going to reign forever and ever. Every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's coming. Okay. And so, in the same way, David is already anointed king, but but he's not the recognized king yet. Okay. Now, 
David comes out. Now, again, what's at stake? Slavery. You know, who's going to serve her? Serve who? That, that's what's at stake on, on, in this battle. Um, verse 11, Saul won't go down. Man, he's, he, he, he's, he's a disobedient king. He's, he's had partial obedience, continual disobedience, delayed obedience. God's taking his spirit from him. And so here comes in verse 12, this guy named David that nobody knows. Okay, David is the sheep guy. David is the pizza boy. David is the delivery guy. David's just on an errand from his father. He's the last of eight sons. He's got the grunt job okay he's a nobody even in the family and 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 he's delivering food to the front okay now when david comes to deliver food he comes and he hears what's been going on for 40 days he hears the philistine go down to the center and make fun of god's people and make fun of god and dishonor god and 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 listen for 40 days you know how the the israelite army has responded to that fear intimidation shame Humiliation. Everybody hanging their head. Okay? Crucial. How does David respond to that? David responds with righteous indignation. All right? Listen, listen. Righteous indignation. Verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? David's like, Who's going to take away the embarrassment uh, that this guy's heaping on God's people? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this guy that he talks this way about our God? Okay. Now, do you know what I mean by righteous indignation? Righteous indignation is when you get hot on the inside. Okay. You ever have that happen? Don't lie. Okay. Come on. When you get boiling on the inside, you get you get stirred up on the inside, stirred up to the point of action. Now, you all know exactly what I mean there, but probably for the wrong reasons, okay? Now, I'm going to put myself in this group, okay? Here, here's, here is our problem. We all get stirred up, but normally it's because our glory, our glory is under attack. Isn't that, isn't that sad but true? When you, when you get hot on the inside, when you get riled up, it's when, when someone insults you, right? Someone belittles you. Someone doesn't answer your call. Someone, someone, someone took away your glory. Someone did not give you credit for what you deserve. Someone insulted you. Someone did something to you that you feel slighted you in some way. And what happens? And you get hot on the inside. And in fact, that boiling over on the inside almost always leads to action. And and I would say not in all of you, but I would say there's people in this room, some of you, it not only leads to action, but all the strength that you can muster cannot stop action, right? I mean, some of you would say, man, when I get, when man, when someone insults me, someone insults my family, I get so hot on the inside, I can't, can't, my mouth's just going to open. I mean, I got to speak. I got to say something. I got to do something. I mean, I can't stand it. That, 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 that I, my family, my church, we, we have been insulted. You know, here's the interesting thing about David. D- David's not stirred up for his own glory. David is stirred up for God's glory. Isn't that interesting? You know, as we go through this series, we're going we're gonna to point out some of the defining characteristics of what makes David a man after God's own heart. And one of the first ones is, is David 
got stirred up about the right things, okay? He was moved on the inside about the right things, all right? So, so we all know already that we, we get stirred up on the inside when someone cuts us off in traffic, when someone, you know, insults us, when someone talks down to us, when someone, you know, lashes out at us. All right, we already got that established. Let me, let me ask you this question. When, when, when God's people are being herded into a courtyard and beheaded in Iraq, does that stir you up? I mean, it's on the news all the time. What, let me ask you, what are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, did you write a check? Did you, did you go on Samaritan's First website? What did you do? Were you stirred to action? Did that bother you enough? Have you said something? Have you done something? Let me ask you this. What about the millions of Hindus in India right now worshiping false, ridiculous gods and giving more glory to cows than the God of the Bible? What are we doing? Does that bother us? Does that stir us up? What about when college professors indoctrinate freshmen against Christianity, lying about Jesus and the Scriptures? Does any of that make you upset? Does any of that stir you to action? I'm not talking about throwing a fit or being mad. I'm talking about you do something about it, man. You, 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 you want to go out. You want to share Jesus. You want to teach a class. You want to you disciple a young person. Does any of that get us off our duff? Nice way of saying it, right? Get us off our, our behind and move us to action. When thousands of people right here in our own backyard, in your workplace, at, at your school, are blinded by the lies of the devil and don't see the glory of God and don't understand Christ's love for them, are you zealous about that? Now Saul, as we're going to see, Saul was a guy that got really riled up when his glory, when his glory got tarnished. Remember what happens later on, a couple chapters later? Um, uh, David goes out, has these, all these victories, and when he comes back in, the, the, the maidens of the city are singing a song. You remember this part? They're singing a song, and in the song it says something like, um, Saul has slayed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Oh, burns him up. <laughs> I mean, he, so much so, David's at supper time. He grabs his javelin and tries to spear David to the wall, okay? Saul's a guy that gets burned up when people insult him. What, what's he doing here, though? Forty days. Forty days, Goliath, notice it says cursing. Forty days, Goliath curses the God of Israel. What's Saul doing? Well, guys, gosh. Hey, what's for dinner tonight? You're not doing nothing. What are you zealous about? Man, as I was studying for this, here's what I kept asking myself. God, how do I get there? How do I get there? I want to be there. Man, Jesus was like this, wasn't he? Zealous for God's glory. You remember, man, the crucifixion. He is mocked. They put a purple robe on him and a crown of thorns and they start striking him. King of the Jews, huh? What does he do? You remember that? He opened not his mouth. Remember, remember the scripture? What does he do when he comes into the temple and they're, they've, they've turned it into Dollar Tree, you know? What, what's, what's he do then? Man, he throws over the tables, gets a whip. Remember, remember this, what, what the scripture says about him? Zeal for my house has consumed him. 
I tell you what, folks, one of the big things in life that's going to make us people of God, that do the work of God, is that we get stirred up about the right things, right? And, and I really think at the heart of that is what you love. Man up this year, we, uh, we went through uh, anger. We did a man in anger. And, and one of the things we talked about was, if you'll take, every time you get angry, if, you, if you'll trace that back, it's because somewhere along the line there, something you love is being threatened, right? That, that's why people get angry. And, and so, you know, you trace that back and you may love your pride. You may love your position. You may love your family. I mean, it could be something good. It's not always something bad. You may love yourself, you know, but, but always it's traced back. And, and really when you think about not so much anger, but what, what stirs you to action? What stirs you to zeal? What do you get, what do you get zealous about? And, and really when it's what you love, it's what you love. Dave was a guy who loved God. I mean, that, that's the bottom line. David's a guy who loves God. Psalm 34. I could have turned to many psalms. So I just picked this one out. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and glad. Magnify the Lord in me. Let us exalt his name together. Verse 8. Taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed the man who takes treasure. I mean, David loves God. And his love for God brings about a zeal for God. And a zeal that moves him to action. He says, who, who's going to take care of this guy? I'll take care of him. Okay. Now, immediately, he faced his criticism. Look at verse 28. Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? You hear the insult in Big Brother's voice? Man, what'd you come down here to do? Just watch, David? It's interesting, about 20 minutes, David, I hope he came back and said, hey, I watched real close up, a lot closer than you. You were way up there, you know? I don't know. David probably didn't do that. That was what I would do. Um, Jesus, Joseph, David, all unsupported by their brothers. But notice how David handles this criticism. Verse 30. So, so Eliab's criticizing, verse 30, and he, and he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. I mean, this guy, won't, he won't be stopped. Something's got to be done about this guy. This guy standing in the way of God's people. This guy is dishonoring God. This thing is in the way and, and something must be done. Saul initially rejects David's offer. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. Saul said to David, verse 33, you're not able to go against Philistine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I would think that Saul would just be happy for some volunteer. I mean, 40 days, he's got zero, right? But, 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 he, but he's not happy with David, obviously, because he thinks this is a disaster. This is going to shame us even worse. I mean, he, here's, here's this guy with no training. He's small. He's, he's man, what's this guy going to do, okay? And, and here's how David convinces him. David convinces him by showing him his faith history, okay? Hold that in your mind. Let me ask you this. Do you have a faith history, Okay. What do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 34. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of the mouth. And and if he rose up against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And And David said, the Lord who delivered me, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You know what I love about David? David did not wait, okay, to be courageous for God until he got the battle opportunity, okay? You know, you know what I think a lot of people are waiting for? They're waiting for their Goliath time, okay? Well, let me tell you, you're never going to step out on Goliath until you step out 
at your job, at your workplace, at your school. I mean, where does David, where does David get his faith history? Where does he prove himself? Out in the pasture, okay? Nobody, zero, are watching, all right? He's a sheep, he's a sheep guy. But being the sheep guy, he learns to trust God in his situation, okay? And he gets a faith history. You know what I mean by faith history? I mean, hey, God helped me here. I called out to him here and he helped me. I called out to him here and he helped me. I trusted him here and he came through for me. I trusted him here and he delivered me. And you got all this history to say, you know what? Man, I can trust God. And if you're waiting for the battle, you're, you're, you're wasting your faith history, okay? Where are you at right now? Are you in the pasture? Some of you feel like you're in the pasture, you know? Yeah, yeah, just... A job you don't really like, it's low end of the totem pole, you're the last guy on the list. Hey, man, get a faith history. Trust God in those ways, and God will deliver you. Saul finally says, okay, all right. Let me get you some armor. Verse 38, Saul clothed David with his armor. Man, Saul's missing the point here, okay? David is he's not going to win toe-to-toe with Goliath. He's not coming at him sword to sword, shield to shield, armor to armor. No, no, no. David is coming with different weapons. You know, it reminds me of 2 Corinthians 10.4. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You're not going to win the battle for your family, your neighborhood, your town, your church. You're not going to win that battle with fleshly weapons. You're going to win it with spiritual weapons. David, David trusted, man, God's going to use what he has, Okay. He just, what, man, I got my shepherd's staff and my sling. Man, I, I love this guy, you know? I mean, how many excuses could he have made? Well, man, I'd go out there if I had a sword. I'd go out there if I had a spear. I'd go out there if I had armor. I'd go out there if I had any experience. Man, how many excuses? I mean, there are people that piddle around half of their life lamenting the things that they don't have. Well, you know, I don't, have, I don't know the Bible very well. I don't speak very well. Uh, I don't have any formal training. I've never been to seminary. I don't have any family support. You know what David's got? He's got zeal for God. He's got zeal for God. It burns him up that God is being dishonored and he trusts God and he comes to God not with the weapons of fleshly warfare. Notice verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come to me. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. You see, Goliath was coming, and Goliath was confident, by the way. Isn't it great that we get their speeches? You know, you don't hardly ever get that in the Bible, okay? You usually just get the battle. Here you get the trash talk before the battle. There's always trash talk before the battle, and here you get it. And notice, both these guys are uber confident, right? Goliath, what's he say? Man, am I a dog? Now you come at me with sticks? I'm going to cut your head off, and I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air. David says, you know what, Goliath's confidence is coming from his spear. It's coming from his shield. It's coming from his height, his size, his battle experience. David says, I'm coming at you. Look at verse 45. I'm coming at you with the name of the Lord. That's what David's coming at. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. What does he mean by that? The name of the Lord is God's character. Okay? David says, I'm coming at you with God's character, that God is faithful, that God is love, that God is glorious, that God is powerful, that God is strong, that God is good. I'm coming at you with God's character, who God is. That's what I'm stepping on the battlefield with. That's what I'm facing my adversary with. That's what I'm facing life with is the character of God. And the character of God gives him confidence. Goliath is confident because he's got this weaver's beam spear, okay? Goliath is confident because he's got this shield bearer, this huge seal standing in front of him. Goliath is confident because he's got a sword, because he's nine feet tall. David is confident 
because of who God is. Isn't that great? You, you should be confident because of who God is. I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord. Verse 46. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David says, man, this is why I'm coming out of here. That all the earth may know. Look at verse, 30, verse 47. I like this. That all this assembly. all this I think he's talking about all the Israelites. But, I, man, every time I read this assembly, I think of us who are, who are watching this through, through the scriptures. That all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Verse 48 and 49, we get the battle. Man, you know this is not Hollywood because of how quick the battle is, right? You know, you know, you know what Hollywood does? Hollywood, there's always like, you know, David would have like tripped and fell and Goliath's coming, ah, you know, David rolls out of the way, you know, and drops his sling and he's got to run back around and get it, you know. I mean, it would have been some kind of, you know, Man, that's not how it happens. <laughs> look, look what happens. Verse 48. Philistine arose, came. David quickly runs toward the battle line to meet him. David puts his hand in his bag, takes a stone, slung it, struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone stank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. I mean, that's it. One shot. I mean, you always think of this as a kid's story. It's not really a kid's story, okay? Whenever the rock sinks into your forehead, you know what that means? I'm, just, I'm not a doctor or anything, but your, your skull just got crushed, right? I mean, man... David definitively defeats this guy with one stone. And then, I, I, again, I love the character of David. David is never half-hearted about anything. You're going to see that in, in his life, okay? He, he goes ahead and finishes this job up completely so that everybody, you know, clear on the, on, the, on, the, on the outskirts of the battle, they may not have known, okay, is he down? Did he trip? What happened? David's going to go ahead and make it real clear what happened, okay? I mean, I, I see David being the kind of guy who would have, like Paul, writ, written Romans 8.13 that says, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. I mean, finish the job. David takes Goliath's own sword, cuts off his head, and then holds the head up for all of Israel to say, hey, this deal is done. The victory's done. Now, here's where we come into the story, okay? You see, we always want to be David. That's, that's who we want to be, right? We want to be the guy with the, the sling, right? We're actually not that guy. You know who you are in the story? You know who I are? We're the guys up on the hillside who are too chicken to come down. That's who we are, okay? I mean, that, literally, that's who we are. Okay, I'm in the very back of that row, okay? You know, I, man, I'm a nobody. I got nothing. I'm not righteous. I'm not fit. I can't do it. God, I, I'm not the guy. Okay, that's who we are, all right? And Jesus has stepped into the battle, and he has won it for us, okay? Notice that David wins the battle. What did the Israelite army do? I'm not even sure they cheered, okay? It's, it's, it's completely ambiguous in the Scripture. It doesn't say anything about it either way. But I'm just thinking, I don't think anybody had very much confidence that this was going to end well. I think they're all surprised. They did zero. They did zip. But notice what happens in verse 52. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. And then they pick up all the spoil and the booty on the way back. Now listen. Listen. Jesus Christ has stepped onto the battlefield for you. For you. And he has won your victory. He has won it. He's already fought the Goliath of sin. If you are a believer here today, okay, I'm talking to Christians. If you're a person who's repented of your sin, put your faith in Christ, 
Sin no longer hangs over you. Jesus has won that. He has decapitated eternal death for you. He has crushed Satan and the demons of hell. You will never be their slave as a believer. He has faced the wrath of God for your sins and you will never face it. He is our champion. He is. He has won that. Okay? Now, what is our response? Verse 52. And the men of Israel and Judah... Did they win the battle? Did they do anything? No. But when they see the battle is won by their champion, by the man in the middle, that's when they rush over the sides of the hill and down into the valley and pursue the enemy and bring back the spoils. That's us. That's us. Okay? We rush. that's, That's what Paul's saying in Romans 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, man, you're gonna have some of that. Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, terrible things in this life. Verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. How? How, Paul? Listen, through him who loved us, through him. I didn't win it. You didn't win it. Jesus won it. And now our job, our privilege is with great joy and confidence, we run. We run in now. We run in and clean up. Man, we run in and live the Christian life. We run in and proclaim Jesus' victory. We run in and minister the gospel. We run in and live out the kingdom. We run in with confidence and we run in with boldness and we run in without fear. You know why? Because Jesus has already conquered all of our greatest enemies. You know what would have been tragic? What would have been tragic is if the story would have ended this way. David goes, chops off the head of Goliath, grabs that big hairy head, lifts it up to the Israelites, and all the guys are like, I'm so glad that that's over with. You know what? I think we ought to have movie night, you know? Movie night. You know, let's celebrate a little bit of a, uh, you know, victory here. So let's all have movie night. Come on back. You know, hey, Jonathan's cooking up popcorn. I mean, wouldn't that that have been a tragic ending to this story? Do you think that some Christians live that way, though? Jesus, champion, victorious, finished, it's done. Could your life be, that? I I guess, is it best illustrated by men who are charging forward with a shout that the, the victory's won, the kingdom's come, let's go, let's clean up. Is that what your life, that is, if you're a believer, that is what your life should look like. Let's pray together. Father, help us to care deeply about the right things, God. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be stirred, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, that you would, God, that you would reign as, as king and supreme, that in every house in Woodward, that your name would be mentioned with, with honor. God, I pray that we would, we would not rest. We would not feel okay until, until you are glorified. Father, I pray that you would give us great joy in the victory of Jesus, our champion, for us on our behalf. And God, I pray that we would rush now. That we would rush to claim and to receive all that you have bought for us through your work on the cross. Father, help us to to be passionate about what we should be passionate about. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name.